I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. Major back dope, baby fall off, sipping codeine cause I gotta kill the cold. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. The game may be over, but they are just getting started. Raw and unfiltered, this is the OU Insider staff, and this is the Under the Visor postgame podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners postgame podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune. And the Oklahoma Sooners stunk it up. It was a uh, shocker. But K-State continues to have the Sooners number in Norman as the Wildcats and Emaw come into, come into Oklahoma Come into that loud Gaylor Family Memorial Stadium and pull off the upset 41 to 34. Parker. Parker, Parker, Parker. Parker, 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 Parker. Yeah. We have to start with the defense, man, right? Gotta start with the the grasping at air. No, you gotta you gotta start with the quarterback position because goodness gracious, the Sooners better go to the transfer portal. ASAP to upgrade. Sixty-seven percent, three hundred thirty yards, four touchdowns. The, wasn't the enough. fact that that's the narrative coming out of this football game is that Dylan Gabriel isn't the guy at Oklahoma, and that's been a very prevalent sentiment on social media and on the message boards. I can't fathom that because you're exactly right, Brandon. Where we should be starting with this football game is the performance of the Oklahoma defense. And we can dissect this game a thousand different ways because there were a thousand different things that went wrong, right? The Sooners could not get pressure on the quarterback. The Sooners could not get off the field on third down. There was no more conspicuous example of that than the third and 16 play. That it was what, less than three minutes to go in the fourth quarter. The Sooners had the chance to get off the field, put their offense in position to string together a game tying drive and Adrian Martinez scrambles for 52 yards, and that's your ballgame. So, couldn't get off the field on third down. Uh, 
obviously, as I mentioned, could not get pressure on the quarterback, killed themselves time and time again with untimely penalties. It was just a sloppy football game, Brandon. And offensively, they left some things on the table, too. Uh, Jeff Levy made a few play calls that I'm sure he'd like to have back. There were, I think, two occasions where the Sooners ran a draw play on third and nine. And I was standing down there on the sidelines next to the, a couple of the other photographers and giving each other side eyes. Like, I'm not the only one that thinks that play call in that situation was bizarre, right? So it, it wasn't all sunshine and roses offensively. But I think you're encouraged with the performance of Dylan Gabriel, if you're honest. 391 total yards, four touchdowns. He wasn't perfect, but he shouldn't have to be, man. 34 points and 550 total yards of offense should be enough to win you a football game. Uh, one of our VIPs at OUinsider.com threw this stat out there. Only once in program history prior to last night had the Sooners lost a game in which they'd accrued 550 yards of offense. It was 2011, the day that Robert Griffin III cemented himself as the Heisman Trophy winner in that upset victory over Oklahoma. So that's the only time in the history of this program prior to this loss to Kansas State that Oklahoma had lost a football game in which they gained 550 yards of offense. So this falls pretty squarely on the shoulders of the defense. Again, it's not all on them because there were issues all the way around in all three facets of the game. But the harsh reality is when you give up 41 points to an offense that just doesn't have a whole lot of skill position talent outside of Deuce Vaughn. And you give up 41 points to a guy at Adrian Martinez, who we talked about it, Brandon. He was not going to beat anybody with his arm. He was going to beat him with his legs. And he did that last mm -hmm. night. You give up 41 points and you continually demonstrate an inability to get off the field in money down situations against that Kansas state offense. You don't deserve to win the football game. And the Sooners didn't last night. No, you, no, they did not deserve to win the football game. As a matter of fact, they did. Did that game not remind you of 2011 Baylor? Like so much, just on its face, as it was. You like, probably remember way more details about that game than I do, Brandon. I was 12 at that time. So fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, but no, 100% that is it. You brought up, brought that up. You brought the stat up and that's exactly, exactly what that game reminded me of. It was Robert Griffin, the third running, 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 running around, finding guys just exactly like Adrian Martinez did like and I I guess I guess I'm dumb because Adrian Martinez was running to his right and to his left and right before he would get to the line of scrimmage an Oklahoma football player would come up a defender would come up leave their man and just allow him a wide open dump throw over the top that was literally just like a loft. He didn't have to throw it. He just lofted it because there was nobody within 30 yards of him because the closest defender was chasing after him now. 
instead of just staying on their guy, forcing him to use his feet, cross the line, and then come up and make a play. They could have got off the field so many times on third down if they would have just stuck with the fundamentals and not played, oh, crap, here he goes running. I'm going to take off. He hadn't even crossed the line yet. Like, force him to cross the line of scrimmage and then commit to coming up and making the play. It's 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 not rocket science, but that's exactly what this that it is exactly what Robert Griffin the third did to Oklahoma in Waco in 2011, exactly. And similarly, uh, Oklahoma made comeback after comeback after comeback. We get ahead. It went back and forth, kind of like this game where K State would get ahead by a lot, and then Oklahoma would come back and boom. They're right back in it with a chance to win. It just, it's, it. The game was hard to watch just from even a media perspective because even all people that do want to blame the offense, they had, they had their fair share of reasoning in it. It literally was two first downs and then a penalty when they would get a drive going in momentum. Two first downs, boom, boom. And not just, any regular first down, it would be like a 26-yard run and a 20-yard pass, and then they would line up to, to snap the ball quick again, and it, you name the player, they would fall start. It was any, it was a wide receiver. It was an offense lineman. It, it was just stupid play after stupid play. Like Little league kids know not to move until the ball moves. Like, this is, that was just stupidity, Parker. Stupidity, and it killed them. Now you're playing behind the chains. You've given K-State a chance to set up and see what you're going to do now. And it's a lot harder to move on a top 10 defense when they know exactly what your formation is and where you're going to move. I don't know, man. I thought it was all the way around. The defense, get they, they garner most of the blame. I'll say that because the offense put up 500 yards, right? But the offense garners a little bit of it, but not 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 like you were talking about with the QB and the fans. Oh, Dylan Gabriel needs no 330 yards, four touchdowns, 67% passing. At no point in time should you put the blame on him. No, no and, point in time. No, Brent Venable said it in post game. He said Dylan played more than well enough to put us in position to win the game. And as a football team, we did not do enough to support him. And the yep. Sooners didn't. And look, we can sit here for hours and talk about all the things that Oklahoma did wrong. But at the end of the day, you also got to tip your hat to Kansas State because yeah. that was a team that came in completely undeterred after a loss on their home turf to Tulane a week ago. They executed their game plan flawlessly. They did not shoot themselves in the foot. They did not turn the football over. They were opportunistic when Oklahoma made mistakes, both offensively and defensively. And they were the better football team on Saturday night. I don't know if they're the better football team seven, eight times out of 10, but on this particular Saturday in Norman, they were. And that was pretty evident. That was another thing Venable said in the aftermath of this football game. There was no fluke about it. They beat us. And they did. And it's a credit to Chris Kleiman. It's a credit to his staff. Heck, it's a credit to Colin Klein as offensive coordinator, man, because he called one hell of a game. 
And mm-hmm. you also got to give flowers to Adrian Martinez because that was that was arguably the game of his collegiate career. Uh, obviously, with him being a four-year starter at Nebraska, gotten the chance to watch and or follow a lot of Adrian Martinez over the last few years. And I cannot recall a performance that start to finish was this impressive for that guy. He owned the Sooners last night. And every time a play needed to be made, he made it none bigger than that 52-yard scramble on third and 16 to put the game out of reach. So you make up a great point. Oh, my gosh. So Colin Klein, everybody needs to think about 2012, K-State, Oklahoma, in Norman. Think about what what did Colin Klein do to Oklahoma that day? Just destroyed him, right? Running the ball, passing the ball. So at that point in time, that was Mike Stoops' first season back as defensive coordinator. And Oklahoma was using similar defensive scheme that Brent Venables and Mike Stoops had installed and instilled back in all those all those seasons leading up to 2012, right? Before they relinquished Brent Venables and he went to Clemson. So I have to I have to imagine Colin Klein went back and watched his performance and watched what they did against Oklahoma against this defensive scheme, similar defensive scheme, right? And instilled a lot of those same principles, those same formations, the same scheme, the same QB run game that Colin Klein was impossible to stop that night and just put it on display Saturday night. And again, 10 years later, Oklahoma can't stop it. They can't stop it. They cannot stop it. Adrian Martinez is Colin Klein. They're they're one and the same as far as who they are as a quarterback. They're not going to throw you to death. They're going to run you to death. And yeah, it, it's that that was Parker. That was a great point. That was a great point. I don't think a lot of people are thinking about Colin Klein and what he did back in 2012, but he knows how to beat this Oklahoma defense. It, it it's just, and I think another thing people are like, well, the defensive line did not get in there. There was a lot of times they were chasing after Martinez Parker, and they did it facing six and seven guys on the line. Like K State was max protecting a lot. And then just saying, Oklahoma, if you're going to man us up, we're going to let Adrian run around and then force you to make a decision. Like I said earlier, either you're going to commit to come up and get him, and now you're going to leave your man. There's nobody there. If you leave your man and you're man-to-man, there's nobody there to cover your man, right? First down. And that that's essentially what their game plan was. We're going to make you make mental mistakes because – you're going to get frustrated because you're not getting to the quarterback like you have been all season because we got seven dudes on the line, six, seven guys. You're rushing five, five or six. The offensive line normally is going to win those battles because they have one extra guy to block. And that that's just, I, I think, ultimately, this was a learning experience for Venables. I do. I really do. I think this was a great learning experience for him. I I, don't, I know fans don't want to hear that, but I think ultimately it's a learning experience for this team. 
I think it was a great learning experience for the coaches and going down to TCU and facing a spread team. Now a team that, you know, you can devise all those different looks and confuse and get to the quarterback because they're not going to have, they're going to have five guys blocking instead of six or seven. Your odds are better, right? To get to the quarterback at that point. So I think, it allows them to learn not just for next week, but for moving forward, because there's going to be other teams that are going to try to do this to Oklahoma. And now they can be ready. I would, I, if you're Oklahoma, I would rather lose now in the throes of September, than have this game show up on October 28th or November 1st or something like that. And you make a very good point, Brandon, which is hey, this is a Kansas state team that in a lot of ways is engineered to take down a giant. They are. They're always a well-coached team. And if they show up and they establish their rhythm, they play their brand of football for 60 minutes. They're a tough team for anybody to put away. And I, a couple things stood out to me that had me scratching my head a little bit. First off, where was Jaron Canick? Because I asked that game that he had, up in Nebraska, 10 tackles and a forced fumble. If he played a defensive snap last night, I missed it. I saw him in the game on special teams. That was it. And wouldn't it have been nice to have a guy that can run like that on that third and 16 play in particular? Because I tell you what, I went back and I watched that play over 15, 20 times. And I even put a video up on our OU Insider YouTube channel, kind of breaking down what happened, how Adrian Martinez was able to get so free. That play did exactly what it was designed to do, which was create a ton of space over the middle of the field where if Adrian Martinez couldn't hit his first read, he could tuck it and run and run forever. And that's what happened. But it Mm -hmm. was enabled by the fact that the Sooners sent five men, left one man high in a cover one look, and the one guy that they left high was Deshaun White a linebacker. So it really left me nothing more than that play really left me scratching my head as to why Jaron Canick wasn't utilized more than he was because a skill set like his is rare. We've talked about it extensively. And when you have an athletic quarterback who can make you pay with his legs to the extent that Adrian Martinez can, that's a guy that's worth having on the field in certain situations, especially. And the Sooners didn't look his way. The Sooners really didn't, on the back end, they really didn't rotate a whole lot last night. And again, time and time again, they yeah. saw it come back to bite them. And I can't even I, I can't even count, Brandon, how many times Kansas State faced a third and six or a third and eight a third and nine and convert it. Uh, Kansas State's second to last touchdown of the football game. When they led 27-20 and were knocking on the door, Adrian Martinez uh, scampered for a 15-yard touchdown run, and I believe that play occurred on a third and nine. All the Sooners had to do was shore up against the read option, Make sure Deuce Vaughn didn't beat him inside. Make sure Adrian Martinez didn't beat him outside. They over-pursued. They keyed on Deuce Vaughn. Adrian Martinez bounces it outside, and the rest is history. Right? 
So I, I, I agree with you in this, Brandon. I think if you were going to lose a game, this is as good a game to lose as any. And I know for a lot of people that, that it might seem like sugarcoating or it might seem like uh, trying to take the eternally optimistic side. But it's not. It, I don't think it is because you look ahead, you got TCU, you got Texas. Here's the biggest thing for me. You would rather have the wake-up call come before Texas than for the wake-up call to be Texas for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. right? Because if you lose to Texas in year one of the Venables era, people are not satisfied. And that's not and to say people... still, that's a still realistic thing to happen too. That could happen. It could, but I think this game, and I I talked to David Igwebu extensively about this last night. I think this game left a lot of lessons on film that Oklahoma is <clears throat> going to be able to go back and evaluate, especially defensively, and fix and fix very quickly. And I have a question for you then. You talk to the players because yes. I was with the coaches last night. You went with the players. And I asked Jared, I asked before I ask the question, I want to say this real quick. Folks, I asked Ted Roof why Jaron Kanick didn't play. Straight up asked him. I said, after what he did last week and knowing that. The Sean White was he looked tired, man. They were running him ragged. I bet he played what sixty seven. How many snaps did total did 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 K State get? Do we know? Do we have that stat? No, I, I don't like, have it in front of me. No, I'm looking. Um, total plays eighty three total plays, and Deshaun White played every freaking one of them. Did not come off the field. Why? Why? Like, there are there were instances that you could see he was blitzing and just gassed when he was trying to come in on a blitz and almost had no fight in him. Well, and you saw him third and 16, too. He didn't even I come up just... and try to make a play. He stood back there and watched... He's the only free guy. The only free guy. There was no, everybody's manned up and covered. Look to your right, look to your left. Everybody's covered. Oh, the quarterback's running. I might need to come up and make a play. Oh, I'm going to stay back here and have freaking seamen on my cleats and watch him run by me. But Am again, I wrong? no, you're not wrong. But again, it goes back to stamina. Right, because he looked gassed yes, on that play, Kanick. and yeah, it it does beg the question. Not not even that. I'm not even saying have Canick on the field in that scenario. But if you're going to leave a man high, why not somebody like Justin Rules or Damon Harmon? Well, actually, the game Justin that, Bruls had, I don't know, man. Yeah, no, Bruls was rough. Yeah. It was not a great game for him. And 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 before everybody starts bashing him, he's had a great season. So just hold off here, folks. Like. Let's not go bashing the guy. Everybody's yeah, there, allowed. There to is have no, a bad there game. is no before everybody starts bashing him. They've already started no, bashing him. Oh, I know they have. I know they have. Oh, here we go. Beach ball all over again. That guy's, he's human. He had a bad game. So did, so did Danny Stutzman. Danny Stutzman whiffed on a thousand tackles. So did David Aguebu. 
So did uh, the, you want to know the player that played great on defense last night? I bet this is easy. Easy. Billy Bowman played very well. Okay, two guys that played great on defense. Who's the other guy that name kept coming up over and over? And he's a defensive line guy. Jalen Redmond. Exactly. Ironically, I was talking to a very good source on the defensive line. And I said, hey, you know, and this person, I, I'm not saying like, he just knows defensive line better than anybody probably ever <laughs> that I know of that I've talked to. And I said, so what do you think about the defensive front for Oklahoma? And I said, Jalen Redman is the only person that Oklahoma has that is on the same level of David Hicks. And obviously David Hicks is going to make a decision this week. But that's my point is that that dude's making plays because he's a freak, right? Um, but anyways, to your point, I was going to ask you a question. But before I got to that, I was going to say, Roof had like zero answer for why Canick didn't play. And that like, <laughs> I, I wish we had the audio for that. I don't have it. I wish I had the quote. I don't have it done yet. But it was more or less, he's doing a great job in practice and he's earning more playing time. I just felt that Deshaun was the guy forced to blah, 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 blah. But Canick's going to get to earn more playing time. Blah, Like literally just, just try to sidestep the fact that he knew he, he screwed up by not playing Canick there, especially when you've moved Justin Harrington back to safety. Like he's not playing. Oh yeah. I reported that yesterday. Did Justin <laughs> Harrington play? No, well, I was, I was, no, he say, didn't because they moved him back to safety. He's in the safety room. Now he is he not in play a defensive snap either. Yeah. Cause he's not in the cheetah or the, the, the linebacker cornerback room, which is essentially the cheetah play. They're in the linebacker and corner rooms. For the most part, the safeties are the strong safeties and safeties or the strong safety and free safeties. So he's not a cheetah anymore. He is a safety again. And that's where they're going to keep him from this point on, because cheetah just has so much that you have to just absorb. And they've moved him around so much this off season that he was just, everything was just going 90 miles an hour around him. So they moved him back to the safety room, and that's where he's going to stay. And they think he's going to be an All-American before he leaves, but he's got to pick up the safety room first. Now, I think he's going to start playing. I think next week he'll start seeing Harrington more. But he's only had one full week where he is a legit safety, and that's yeah. all he is. Well, and but it's, I think it's a lot easier to second-guess why you didn't see a guy like Harrington last night than it yeah. is to second-guess why you didn't see Canick on the field last night. Because Fair. Mm -hmm. Everybody last week saw what type of player Jaron Canick already is, and more than that, what he has the potential to be at the collegiate level against Nebraska. That was an impressive performance, and one that did not leave much to be desired other than the fact that uh, he came flying in the backfield a little out of control and didn't finish off a couple of sacks. But everybody, and I mean everybody, saw a potentially elite football player have his coming out party last mm -hmm. week up in Lincoln, and then he doesn't play a defensive snap the following week as your defense gets toasted for 511 total yards of offense. That just doesn't add up. Yeah, no. Hey, so here's my thing. And I want to – I'm going to just Sean White do before I ask you the question I was going to ask you. I know we keep beating around that. But 
he didn't play bad. He just played tired at times because he was no, out no, there no. for like so he, long. Yeah, exactly. He was I, actually I, one of the better players last night. I, I do not think Deshaun White had a bad game by any stretch of no. the imagination. He just got gassed. Yes, like he he broke up several passes that that one pass that fly route or the seam route that he chased down perfectly and broke it. that was a perfectly cut perfectly thrown ball by the way and he just ripped it out and he did it again coming down the the visitor side later on in the third quarter but so I was going to ask you you talked to the players I had to talk to the coaches um what was the sense that you got as far as you were, you were talking about extensively with David Aguebu and the learning experience and they would rather have it now. And they left a lot on the, did you, did you get a sense that they were obviously they're pissed? They lost, but did you get a sense that a lot of the leaders came out and were like, this isn't happening again? Like, yeah, was there a lot of that? Exactly. And that's, that's one of the things I was just about to kind of hash out was in talking to Aguebu in particular, um, cause he was, he was one of the guys uh, that kind of mm-hmm. hung around for quite a while at post-game availabilities. And yeah, you could tell he was upset, but he was also willing to talk it out. It's almost like he kind of wanted to. Mm-hmm. As a leader on that side of the football. And he said, look, as a leader on this defense, it's my responsibility to make sure something like that doesn't happen again. And we're not going to let this happen. We're going to go watch the film, learn our lessons, and we're going to go tangibly apply it next week and for the remainder of the season because that's not who we are. And that right there was a sentiment that we heard echoed so many times last night. That's not who we are, or that's not who we will be. And Uh I think in many ways that's true. That game last night was just not characteristic of what this team's identity is or what we expect it, what they expect it to be. And mm. you'd hope it's a one-off performance. I think heading down to TCU next week, if you recall, that was back in 2020. That was, was a game, game where this team kind of, yeah. And it was, it was the game against Texas where they really started to, I think, I think Texas was the wake up game, but TCU was where everything kind of gelled. And you started to see a, a team play really tight together, sound football. And I think this has the opportunity to be much the same for this team in 2022. And you're going to want to build some solid momentum. You're going to want to be able to do some things against TCU that you can carry over the following week against Texas, because that's the biggest game of your season. At this point, I don't care. Like, that's the biggest game of your season because it's either going to give you a massive emotional lift or it's going to kill the vibe, whether you win or not. It's totally off subject, but (laughs) Jalen Hurts is just a dude in the NFL. (laughs) Like, who saw that coming, bro? (laughs) Who saw that coming? (laughs) He's a dude, man. Just killed. I think he has like four touchdowns or the three touchdowns already this first half he's unbelievable um yeah man 
so to the TCU point, um, he uh, the Venables said that he thought that there was enough buy-in and the leadership's great on this team and that he expects it. Like, I thought the greatest thing that he said when he came in yesterday was it was like later in the presser. And he said, I'm pissed. Like I, I've, I don't think I've heard an Oklahoma coach say that since, well, Bob Stoops said that before, but like Muleshoe never said I'm pissed about anything. He's like, oh, the 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 famous trope of we're we're close, we're close, right? And fans were asking if that was said yesterday, and and to Muleshoe's credit, a lot of times they were close, and they ended up doing exactly what Muleshoe said they were going to do. But it was so tiresome because they had to lose to get to that point. Now, I think people also need to understand that this is a foundational rebuild from the ground up. Anybody that thought that they were going to go undefeated was fooling themselves this year. And I that, to that point, I think the Nebraska game was the worst possible scenario for Oklahoma. It was awful to yeah, it was great that they went up there and just completely annihilated Nebraska. But at the same time, it was the worst thing mentally for said team. It was the worst thing that could have that could have happened to them. You got people like even Colin Cowherd coming up saying Oklahoma's the second best team in the country. And got who knows at the end of the year they might be. We don't know that. Like, you can't see that right now. <laughs> and I would say you're laughable if you said that right now. If you still said, I still think they're going to end up be the second best team, I would laugh at you. But to sit there and say it's out of the question, out of the realm of possibility, can't say that. But they've got a lot of things they've got to improve on. And I think we saw some of those things in the games leading up to this past week. But they were good enough to mask them by big plays from the defensive line and the linebackers. And last night, when the linebackers and the defensive line weren't making plays for them, and you kind of left the secondary out there on an island, that's a recipe for disaster at any point in time, no matter what type of defense you are. No matter what type of defense you are. That almost, you know, looked like Clemson, Alabama in 2019, where Clemson could do no wrong offensively. And Alabama, no matter what they did, it just wasn't going to work for them. It just wasn't going to work for them. And that's exactly what happened last night with Oklahoma. Even when things were working for them, there was always that next play where it just crumbled. It just cr- And it was always a third down, like third and 15, third and 16, third and 12, third and nine. The ironic thing is, is when it was like a third and five, Oklahoma would stop them. But not a third and 16. Not a third and 16, Parker. Third and five, we're going to stop you. Third and 16, first down, baby. Isn't it supposed to be the opposite? 
supposed to work the other way around. It Normally. is. <laughs> that is typically, by the way, for those of you watching on the YouTube side, the reason I keep disappearing is because I don't want you all to see me sneeze. Allergies are killing yes. me on this Sunday. He, so he sounds horribly nasally. I, I figured um, I probably do. I sensed that yeah. a little bit. I got asked last week if I was high because of how I looked and it was my allergies. And I was like, dude, I got allergies. Like, leave me alone. I can't help. <laughs> like, if I don't, like, sorry. Never tried a cigarette in my life, and people are like accusing me of being high. Red eye get you. Um, so let me ask you this, Parker. Where do you think this team goes from here? If you were going to lay down money right now, like I know you don't have a mortgage, let's say you're new. 2016 rogue white rogue there you go uh, what what are you going to if somebody said i'm the pink slip for that where, where are you betting this this team ends up well i'd here's the thing my expectations really don't change a lot because when we talked about it for the entirety of the offseason brandon this team was going to drop a game somewhere along the line. They were going to drop a game somewhere along the line. I couldn't have pointed you to it, but I could have pointed you to several teams, Kansas State being one of them. We said Kansas State was one. Yeah. That if Oklahoma came out of the gate slow or they just didn't show up for whatever reason, that was one of those teams that could make them pay. Now, I do think it's going to be a wake-up call for this team. I do think they're going to rally behind one another. I do think they're going to fix a lot of the mistakes that they made yesterday. And I don't think you'll see many of those same mistakes repeated. Um, I Right now, I question with the way that they played yesterday if they're going to be able to get past a team like Baylor. Mm-hmm. I would say right now, if you ask me to put my 2016 Rogue on it, I would say this team finishes the regular season at 10 and two. I still think they win double digit games, but I think they lose again somewhere along the line. And right now I look at that Baylor game because that team's identity is very similar to that of Kansas state. Mm -hmm. So now to me, that becomes, I, that game becomes paramount on this schedule, not only because it's likely going to be against a top 25, maybe even top 10 team, but because it's going to be an opportunity for you to redeem a lot of the mistakes that you made against a very similarly constructed opponent. So Mm. if you have corrected those mistakes, it's going to show up against Baylor. If you've not corrected those mistakes, Baylor's a team that's going to expose them. Okay. So I'm going to... I'm going to say they end up. I almost want to say three losses, but I, I can't. I don't know where the third. I don't think there is a third loss here because I don't think they're going to lose to Oklahoma State. I just don't think Oklahoma State's defense is good enough to hold down Oklahoma's offense. And I think Oklahoma's defense is good enough to hold down. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pigeonhole this defense for one game. I'm just not because Brent Venables is the, is the coach. 
he I I cannot see him allowing the defense to play like this again this season. I just can't. And I can't see leadership like Aguebu, like a Woody Washington, like a Deshaun White, like a Jalen Redman or a Jeffrey Johnson or even an Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes to allow this team to go out there. Or Danny Stutzman. Danny Stutzman, I don't know that he realizes how much of a leader he can be with his personality and how much because people love him. Like his teammates genuinely love him. And once he figures that out, and plays with the same vigor that goes with his personality, he's going to be dynamite. But I also think that they're going to start playing Jaron Kanick more. I, I think behind the scenes, you're going to see some... You won't see it, but you'll see it on Saturdays. You're going to see some changes made. Like, I think... The Will Backer spot, you're going to see Canick there a lot more than you will see Deshaun White from here on out. Um, I think it's safety you're going to see, and it may not be this coming week, but it's going to be in the weeks to come. You're going to see Justin Harrington move into that rotation. And the other safety you're going to see more. I think you're going to see more Demon Harmon and Justin Harrington as the season moves along. And they can they, those guys pick it up mentally more and more. And then you'll see Justin Broyles. And that's not to say Justin Broyles isn't going to play because I think he's going to play quite a bit. I just think you're going to see more rotation with those guys. And then the cream of the crop is going to start rising. Um, I, At the end of the day, what I saw against in the Baylor-Iowa State game because I don't I don't know what Baylor is. Like I don't like they lost to BYU. BYU just got gets pummeled the next week by Oregon and Oregon looks like a sieve on defense, by the way, against everybody not named Baylor. So now I question Baylor's offense and they have to come into Norman. And it's later on in the season where Venables has had a chance to Fix things, right? So I think the law is either going to be Texas or it's going to be at Iowa State. I think those are your losses if they're going to happen. And so I'm with you. 10-2 and two seems about right. But I won't be shocked if they go 11-1 and one and run the table and put themselves in position for a playoff win because of who they have remaining. If Baylor wins out, they're going to be a top 10 team. Oklahoma State wins out. They're going to be a top 10 team. Um, if Texas wins, even after, even if they're, say, they're three and three in the middle of October, they have a chance to win. Maybe they go eight and three, seven and four. That's, that's better than, or excuse me, eight and four. Excuse me, nine and three, eight and four. That's better than what they were the previous year. But I also could see Toler. I also could see Texas just completely peeing down their leg again because that's what they've done notoriously. So we don't know what the culture is at Texas right now, right? Like, we don't. They had nine months to prepare for Baylor. 
you're starting to see when they've had chances a week to prepare for UTSA and Texas Tech, it has not been pretty for them. Not been pretty. So I'm going to go 10 and 2 or 11 and 1. I'm going to go 10 and 2 with, I think if they go 11 and 1, I'm not going to be shocked, but I'm with you 10 and 2 because I, I think they lose at Iowa State. And that's not a bad loss. Like a horror. That wouldn't be a horrible loss. It puts you a chance to still be a top 10 team at the end of the year. If you win your, if you win the Big 12 and you win your bowl game, you still have a chance to be a top 10 team at the end of the season. And that's okay in year one. So I guess the other question, Parker, and you can go first on this and recruiting ramifications for this game. Minimal. Should Oklahoma fans be worried? Should Oklahoma fans be worried about if David Hicks, let's say hypothetically he had chosen Oklahoma, or he's going to choose Oklahoma? Does this change his decision any? If one loss tanks a recruitment, then there's absolutely not a chance, not a snowball's chance in hell that DJ Hicks would go to Texas A&M after they just lost to Appalachian State two weeks ago. So Mm -hmm. for the alarmists that believe that there's going to be a significant fallout from this game, no, there's not. And this is not like, this is not sunshine pumping. You look at Miami, which got throttled yesterday by Middle Tennessee State. Middle Tennessee State went to Coral Gables and laid it on Miami. Miami's recruiting yep. class is just fine to the point where the leaders of said class have already come out and proactively said, we're not going anywhere. This doesn't change anything. We're going to be the ones to change the culture. The ramifications for Oklahoma coming out of this game are going to be very, very minimal, if perceptible at all. I do not expect that this is going to hurt them in any significant way as far as recruiting because the environment last night was awesome. Mm-hmm. That's another thing, too. Like, yeah, it was squandered in a loss, but, man, that environment stood out. You've already seen so many recruits mentioned on social media how impressive that environment at Owen Field was. Yeah. No, hey, so the top 25 just came out, Parker. Um. Oklahoma's 18th in the AP poll. They're right behind AM, who for some odd reason they moved up after Arkansas literally gave them a game with a missed chip field goal. Arkansas drops to 20th at three and one. They dropped 10 spots. Oklahoma dropped 12 spots. And I'm actually shocked. So you got Baylor at 16. You have Oklahoma State at 9. USC barely pulls out a win, and they move up to 6. Um, A&M 17. They moved up 6 spots for being beating Arkansas because Arkansas let them let them win the game. Basically said, here you go. We're going to miss this field goal off the top, the tip of the <laughs> on the tip of the upright. <laughs> um, 
But I thought the interesting thing is Kansas State's 25. And Kansas is 26. Texas Tech is 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. And TCU is 33rd. Excuse me, 38th, 37th, 38th, something like that. Um so I think it, that's my. I guess that's my point when I named Baylor. Um, obviously, Kansas State being in the top twenty-five now allows Oklahoma to have. They have a good loss. Like that's. I know that's sunshine pumping, but when the when the playoff committee starts, if Oklahoma is winning out and say the first weekend of November when they come out with the polls, right? You. It, if Oklahoma's won every game since then, that means they've probably beaten a top 25 Kansas team because Kansas is going to be ranked at that point if they keep winning. And we expect them to beat Iowa State this weekend, right? Um, <laughs> they beat Texas. I'm trying to think who else they play uh, from from that point on. but um, You got to consider recency bias is a real thing. So It is. Like yep. if you you'd rather have if you're gonna lose a game, you'd rather lose a game early in the season than late in yep. the season, as far as the polls are concerned, because of recency bias. It's real. Well, the fact that Oklahoma's still in the top twenty is kind of sets them up if they went out to move right back into that top four. Honestly. This is this is nothing new for Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma fans, they, uh, it's hard for them to see that. There has been worse losses in recent years to worse teams, and Oklahoma has skyrocketed up. And I think Mike Houck, uh, the Sooners SID uh, and head communications director, put out a great stat today. Since 2006, Oklahoma's lost their first Big 12 game five times. Do you want to know what happened? And that's that's counting this year's K-State, by the way. Do you want to know what's happened the previous four times that's happened? Parker, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess just based off what I know about a couple of those instances, I'm going to guess the common denominator is they've won a Big 12 championship every single year. That is correct. They have won a Big 12 every year that they've lost the first conference game. They did not lose another game until they got into the playoffs and or their bowl game. So, not sunshine pumping, purely stating fact. This team has the talent to make a playoff run. They are young. They are inexperienced. This was going to happen at some point this season. And as Parker astutely said earlier in the podcast, perfect timing. Perfect timing. Right now is perfect timing for this to happen. You're still in basically the the early stages of fall. Literally fall happened a few days ago, the first day. You would rather that happen than you being close to the first weekend of, of December. I promise because now – you have a chance to build off of this loss if you're Oklahoma, and we both believe they will. We both think they're going to go into down to TCU and 
I honestly think they're going to lay the hammer down. I'm going to be honest with you. I, 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 I do question this, Parker, with the TCU matchup. <laughs> the one quarterback in all of the Big 12 that mirrors Adrian Martinez yep. is one Max Duggan. <laughs> Not a good combination, but at least Oklahoma has something to build off of and work on. Because you know, no matter the scheme that TCU employees, they're going to have some wrinkles like that run game to bother Oklahoma. Now, will the defensive ends do what they need to do to stop that? Will the linebackers be able to react and tackle? Because they've had they had Adrian Martinez dead to rights several times where they didn't get the first down. They just let him slip through his hands. Uh, Danny Stutzman was three different times in the backfield. He read it right, came up, made the hit, wrapped up, and just Martinez just slipped out through him, and he got gained another two or three yards, falling forward. Right? I mean, so it happens, but now you've got to learn from it, and you've got to be more physical at the point of attack. If you're not, this could be part two, and you don't want to be part two back to back early on. Now, every all your goals are or at least the playoff goal's out, and now you're hanging in limbo on the Big 12. And that, that makes it tough. You've given yourself no leeway at that point. Big 12-wise, you would rather lose later in the season so you know exactly where you stand. Uh, then, but playoff-wise, you want to lose now. And so the, it's still everything's still in front of them. All right, real quickly, Parker, uh, before we close this thing out, We will not podcast before the David Hicks announcement. So 2023 five-star defensive lineman, number one defensive lineman in the country, is announcing at 3.30 on ESPN. And it's down between Oklahoma, A&M, Alabama, Oregon, Miami, whatever. It's basically Oklahoma, A&M. We'll probably have a emergency podcast i'm assuming afterwards because he's just a big deal like that but well we'll have we'll certainly have the youtube live stream yeah well yeah there we go we'll have the youtube live stream up there you go yep yeah where we can either be the uh sounding board for the meltdown or we can be the uh gosh the celebration center i don't know that we can handle more bad news this week so um <laughs> would not the bottom line our business runs on bottom line and your happiness uh helps our bottom line a lot more than like this loss helps our bottom line just because anger and misery everybody misery enjoys company and OU insider is a miserable place right now it's a fun place but it's miserable um when you have thousands and thousands literally thousands and thousands and thousands of OU fans with no with with fake screen names and no ramifications, just spouting crap. It's interesting, but two back to back bad newses does not do good for our bottom line. Uh, so, anyways, Parker. That being said, what you got? I was down there this weekend, so I'll go last since I've got kind of the inside track on everything. But you go yeah, first. I I think it's been pretty clear for a couple of months here that this one's trending Oklahoma. That's where my crystal ball sits. And as you mentioned, Brandon, you were down 
at Katie Pato this past weekend. So I will yield the floor to you to add whatever you want to add from your firsthand interaction with DJ and his family. First off, uh, Coach Bates was there. And I th- that was a warm welcome. And I got to see people waving at him. Like, he is very beloved down there at Katie Paytel. The coaches love him. The fan base, even though it's in A&M country, very much loved him. And you kind of got to see the Hicks family notice him. And he can't talk to him because he's there. But, you know, there's polite waves, and that was about it um, from about 100 feet away. And uh, so, like, they uh, – I, and you can tell that David Hicks noticed him there. And I talked to David afterwards. He was obviously visibly upset because they lost. Did not pay, pay, pay to play the worst game. I've seen them play. And David even said it was the worst game. He he was miserable. It was to the point that I didn't even interview him really at, until the very next day because I just told him, I said, dude, we'll talk tomorrow. And I had to wake up at 3.30 in the morning, get back from my son's game. He was in the football game and more uh, on a Saturday morning. So I woke up and drove back to make sure I made his game. And um, we talked afterwards yesterday before I went down to Norman. And so um, I still like Oklahoma. I think the relationship that he had with David Hicks, or excuse me, Todd Bates, that David Hicks had with Coach Bates, Coach Venables, and even Coach Valai, because Coach Valai was recruiting him at Alabama. That was his guy when he was at Alabama and David was at Allen. And so um, I just like Oklahoma. I don't know what it is. From all accounts that I hear from other people, he it seemed, I think he's also very close with, with Derek LeBlanc. So I think that along with him just feeling so comfortable with the staff, uh, I just like, I like Oklahoma here, but I, I look, we're going to find out because anytime defensive linemen and A&M roll around, I think it kind of gives people kind of a sick feeling because they notoriously have landed them recently, right? Since 2020, what have they landed like? I think it was like almost 20 between defensive end and defensive line, interior defensive linemen, 20 top 100 players. That's insane, dude. That is insane. Insane. So you gotta you gotta kind of question that, right? At this point. But you also have to look at what Coach Bates and Coach Venables have done with defensive linemen. They've done something that not even the AM coaches have done. They've produced first round picks after first round picks. And guess what? Guess who developed Brian Breezy and you know prayers for him and his family, obviously, after the passing of his sister. Uh, recently, but they developed all those guys. They developed Xavier Thomas. They developed Brian Breezy. Like they're going to have two or three first round picks this year to add another bit to them. 
Like that's going to be like eight since 2019, right? Wow. Wow. And Jalen Redmond keeps producing the way he's producing. Chances are he's going to be a top, what, two, three round pick before it's all said and done. There's a reason why these defensive linemen are flocking to Norman, and there's a reason why we feel good about where Oklahoma stands with DJ Hicks. So, as our members ask you, Parker, nuts on the table? You got Oklahoma, right? I got Oklahoma. I'll go Oklahoma, too. And if it doesn't become Oklahoma, you can come back to this, and you can put all the nasty things you want in our comments. <laughs> so... We'll take it. All right. Um, did you talk to anybody else as far as like the visit went? Not at this point. No. I uh, I went. I talked to, to a around, couple. I went to bed around three a.m. Got up and went to church. Made some lunch. Sat down and did, did this podcast. So, hoping to talk to a few this evening about the experience. But no, really haven't had a chance to hit the phones yet as far as the recruiting fallout is concerned. I got Jordan Davison on the phone today. And from all accounts, that was, he was blown away. Um, He said the atmosphere was amazing. He said, there's no way that he won't be back to Norman because DeMarco Murray has already been through what he wants to go through. He's a West coast guy being from Vegas. And, um, there's just an understanding that they have. So he made it very clear to me that he will try to be back before the end of this season and most certainly for junior day coming up this winter. So uh, he said the atmosphere was the best atmosphere he's ever seen too. And I think that's something I think Oklahoma is starting to push for the West Coast. And they're because the SEC guys, SEC teams, Norton and Taurus, they don't go – a lot for the California guys because they're so far away. Well, Oklahoma's smack dab in the middle and they're halfway between. And these kids, I think, I think it's going to backfire on USC a little bit. The fact that they're going to be playing a lot of games in the cold and a lot of players want to play in warm weather and Oklahoma is going to be in a warm weather conference and they're already in a warm weather environment being that they live in Oklahoma. So uh, I think this is starting to work out pretty favorably for the Sooners uh, if they really focus on California and, and start making moves. And a lot of those modern-day kids that were there, there was a lot of five-star kids on campus, specifically from modern-day, and the ones I've talked to were floored, floored. So um, I'm going to talk to Peyton Bowen um, later on this evening. I talked to Ryan Yates yesterday. He did not make it in, but – I know people think that that's over. It is not. He's going to talk to Coach Venables today, and we will go from there. So um, that is how that that's all going to work out. I expect Ryan Yates to uh, to at some point be back to Norman. I just don't know when. Um, and I still like Oklahoma's odds there. Just just my gut from talking to him. I talked to him for a good while, um, and then finally. Trying to think who else I've talked to. It doesn't matter. We'll 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 cover all that in the next podcast. But anyways, yeah, Oklahoma lost 
Parker, any final thoughts that you want to like any final thoughts, just give us your final thoughts on everything as we close this podcast out. These things happen. You get outplayed every now and again. And this kind of bump in the road was coming. It's year one for Brent Medibles and this team. There's been so much turnover. Uh, there's been so much change. It was always a reasonable expectation that they were going to drop one somewhere along the line. As Venable said last night, though, you're defined not by this particular game, but how you respond to this particular game. And that'll be the challenge in front mm -hmm. of Oklahoma as they go down to TCU next weekend. I agree. I just think they need to, they got to adjust. They have to come back out and not let, they can't let one game define them. And I don't, I think the toughness of this team is better than that and stronger than that. And I think the toughness of this program is stronger than that. It's always been stronger than that because we've seen it time and time again, when they've slipped up early in the season, they've made runs, they've had wake up calls. This is nothing new to the university of Oklahoma, just a different staff. Um, I don't think you're going to be – I don't think this is going to be as – I don't think it's going to be an annual thing as Venable starts to get his guys in defensively and Levy starts to get his guys in offensively, in particular Jackson Arnold and all those guys. Uh, they have a really great offensive class coming in 2023. They're going to have transfers that they feel fit their system. Um, so don't 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 act like this is like – you know, different staff, same vibe type of deal, because it's not. This was a perfect storm of Oklahoma to dismantling Nebraska and K-State losing to Tulane and one team coming in, reading their press clippings a little too much and having to learn from that. And the other one coming in pissed off at the world that they let something like that happen. Because I think if, if, if K-State pulls out that, that Tulane victory, we're looking at a completely different ball game probably last night because it, 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 Oklahoma's not looking past. And I don't think they look past. I just don't think they were uber-focused because we you got to even see the – they were yelling at them, weren't they, when y'all went to the, the post-practice, held them back and were, like, screaming at them pretty vigorously during the week. Like, late, went to, like, the defensive ends or something like that left out there. Yeah, I defensive ends did go late one day. And we're getting reamed, right? Pretty good by Chavis. Yeah, he was getting after him a little bit. Okay, so I guess my point is, is maybe this was something that they saw early practice-wise, and now these kids are seeing the aftermaths of what a bad practice can do to you. So um, it's a young team too, folks. Young, young team. 40% of the roster is brand new, never played together. And as Parker put it perfectly earlier, they're going to have to mesh at some point, and maybe TCU is it. Game five. So we'll see. But yeah, Oklahoma lost 41-34. Not a good loss. They're 18th in the country now. And we'll see how they rebound against TCU at 11 a.m. at Fort Worth this next Saturday. Uh, obviously, we talked about it earlier, DJ Hicks is going to be announcing five-star 2023 defensive lineman number one in the country. We'll be announcing at 3.30 on ESPN. On Wednesday, we'll have a YouTube Live to cover the yay or nay on that particular situation Wednesday evening, and we will go from there. But uh, that's going to do it for this version of the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners Postgame Podcast. 
for Parker Thune, who battled through horrible allergies. My name is Brandon Drum. You guys have a blessed day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.